What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wild, TV host by day, Healthy is Hot founder by night, and health and life coach in between. Also, I'm a big fan of sweatpants and a nice glass of red wine. And from hashtag to movement, we here at Healthy's Hop believing that loving all sides of you is what is healthy. And let's be real, healthy is hot. In this podcast, we invite you to join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals who are living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part, how health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, just a heads up, we don't really hold back, so there might be swearing, there's definitely gonna be some laughing, and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed here, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. Hello, hello. We've got Dr. Lauren Stryker joining us this week. Don't you love that name? It kind of sounds like a superhero, Dr. Stryker. So Dr. Stryker is a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine and the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause. She's a certified menopause practitioner of the North American Menopause Society, a member of the Sexual Medicine Society of North America, the National Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, and the Scientific Network on Female Sexual Health and Cancer. She is so incredibly multifaceted. She wears so many hats. She's also an author. Her most recent release is Slip Sliding Away, Turning Back the Clock on Your Vagina. She's also a podcaster, the Menopause Podcast. Um, And this is a conversation I honestly have never had. I know women who've experienced menopause. I've seen my mom experience it. But now that I'm in my mid-30s, it feels like a conversation I want to start having so I can learn about it and have less fear and shame associated to it. So I really appreciated this interview with Dr. Stryker, and there is a lot of goodness in it. So enjoy. Well, welcome to the Healthiest Hot Podcast, Dr. Lauren Stryker. I got to say, your name immediately makes me think that you should be like a Marvel superhero. The name Dr. Stryker needs to be. I have to show you something. We're going to walk over with my laptop so you can see my, can you see this? This Oh my God. Sex Doc to the Rescue. I don't know if you can see this, but I Oh my God, that's so good. And this was from a magazine article that they said exactly that. They said, Dr. Stryker reminds us of an action hero. So they made a cartoon of me as an action hero, which I love. You see, it was just meant to be. Immediately, that's what my heart said. And really, I I think you are a superhero out there because I think, especially I'm 33, so I have not hit menopause yet, but I know many women who have. I've watched my mom go through it. And I know for a lot of women, And again, small sample size, but there's a lot of mixed feelings about it. There's feelings of shame, confusion, something that you just sweep under the rug and you deal with in private and you're really changing. And and fear. I mean, that's really because people think, okay, this is it. It's over. It's the end of sexuality. It's the end of my being youthful. It's the end of my being productive. And, you know, it's funny because you say, all right, here I'm in my thirties. I don't need to think about this. But it's not as far away as you think. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions because people have this idea of menopause and they think of grandma when in fact, while the average age to enter menopause is 51, anytime after 40 is normal, 
mid forties is very typical to start having raging hormones and to go through perimenopausal fluctuations. And then there's the outliers. I mean, I run a menopause center, as you know, and we see many women who are in their thirties who are menopausal as a result of maybe cancer treatments or premature menopause. So yes, you are correct in that you do not have to be thinking about this right now, but I think it's a really important conversation to have so that when it does come your way, you're not thinking, oh my God, you're thinking, yay, no more PMS, no more periods. Uh, I just want to start off by saying thank you for already like demystifying menopause and breaking the glass ceiling and reminding us all that there is no age determination for menopause. It can happen to many women at various times in their lives. And that's why I think this conversation is so important because on this podcast, we love to talk about many things, but really, I just want to break down the stigma, break down the taboo, start normalizing conversations about health in all of its facets and sexual health and hormonal health is so incredibly important in that conversation. And I can't wait to dive into that with you, but as a, a practicing medical professional in this field, I'm so curious, how did you end up in this area of focus? Because you know, you could have gone in a lot of different directions, Dr. Stryker. Well, I have gone in a lot of different directions. And, and let's just start by how did I even end up in medical school? That was the big mystery because in college, I was a dance and an English major. And I, you know, in my heart of hearts, really wanted to be a ballerina and other than not having the talent or the body. And I thought, all right, well, I'll just be a writer. That's what I wanted to do. And I thought that I was going to be a writer. And then I got involved in some productive rights initiatives and got involved in some women's movement and more political than anything. And I did come from a a, a medical family. And then the clincher was when my brother went to medical school and made some offhand comments about, well, you know, you're a girl. And that was it. I said, okay, I'm (laughs) applying. I got in with much to my surprise and I went. And, and so when I went to medical school, um, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I went a number of different directions. And in fact, I did a year of internal medicine before I switched over to OBGYN. And I have my, my career has gone many different ways. I started off very traditionally delivering babies and, uh, you know, just doing general gynecology. And then I started to do more writing and more media and really started to get out there and talk to women. And that's what really kind of got me off on a different course. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of doctors out there delivering babies. If I don't deliver babies, those babies are going to get delivered just fine. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that no one else is doing. And I started to get interested in just more straight gynecology thing. I was always interested in reproductive rights and reproductive health. And then um, I started looking into more menopause. And the, the sexual stuff was really interesting because I was writing a book um, And it was about post-menopause sexuality, which is an area of of research of mine and interest. And as as you know, in the the book world, once you sell to a big publisher, you kind of lose control. And so that book was sold to HarperCollins. And they said, well, we don't want you to just write about menopause. We want you to write about sexuality across the ages. And that was my book, Sex Rx. And so that was about you know, normal human sexual response at all ages, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And so that's when I started to get involved in the world of sexual medicine. And so I decided, okay, well, I'm kind of interested in unmet needs. What is no one else doing? So when I decided to leave private practice for a variety of reasons, Northwestern hired me to come to the university and to start a sexual medicine 
clinic, which is when we mm-hmm. think of sexual medicine, it's the medical hormonal physical aspects of a normal human sexual response. And women that come to this clinic are on their twenties and thirties, you know, occasional forties, and then to start the menopause clinic, which was separate. And then we have a vulvar health clinic. So it was kind of crazy. I mean, it was a, there's a very quick synopsis of, you know, many, many decades of going from point A to point B, C and D, but that's just kind of the way it works. You pivot when something comes your way. I mean, it sounds like you're also a yes person by nature, especially when someone tells you you can't do something like your brother, who, I mean, looking back was the catalyst to maybe getting you into this field, which is kind of a cool thing in retrospect, Um, even just hearing everything that you shared on top of everything I shared in the intro. I mean, you wear a lot of hats. You are truly a multifaceted woman, which I think is so inspiring. And you do some real hard work changing the game, changing the narrative, doing research to help push these conversations forward. I'm so curious, what drives you to do what you do every single day? I mean, podcaster, author, physician, opening clinics. Like, I am sure that's like the tip of the iceberg of what you do, but that's a lot. It is a lot. And sometimes I think I'm crazy. Um, And But, you know, busy people, of course, always do more things. And I do wear a lot of hats because I have my academic hat. I'm a professor at the university. I teach medical students. I'm the medical director of this clinic. When I, you know, I run this clinic, I see patients. Um, And then I write, you know, I write, I I write books. I write articles for a number of magazines. Um, And then I'm, of course, the podcast thing for me is kind of new. And it's really fascinating because what I've learned about podcasts a lot of people listen to podcasts. Far more people listen to my podcasts than read my books, which I kind of don't understand because while the podcasts are you know, very informational, but my books really are just like do the deep dive. And I, I, my podcast, it's called the Menopause Podcast, is kind of new, but I am just kind of blown away by how many people are listening. But as far as what drives me, what drives me are women. You know, when I, my, my favorite thing to do in COVID was really tough when it came to this, because my favorite thing to do is to get out there and talk to people. Nothing makes me happier than a live studio audience or an auditorium filled with people and where you can interact and you can answer questions. And when people have that aha look on their face, when they're like, huh, you know, I didn't know that, or this is information that's really going to make a difference, then it, you realize that this is very exciting work. Uh, it's it's so fun and interesting hearing you talk about being in media because that's what my my day job is full-time tv host here in Canada and during COVID of course we were filming remotely I was still so grateful to be able to do my job from the comfort of my bedroom but I miss that I miss the in-person you know human connection you get and especially for you delivering information getting to see it land in those women's eyes must be so exhilarating well, you know, it's interesting because when I do media, when I do TV, of course, there's when you're in front of a live studio audience, which is always my favorite, but not that many shows do that anymore. But even just when I'm on a set with an anchor, the conversation is so different mm-hmm. than when, you know, COVID, I'm literally in my bedroom and it's just, there's, it's not the same interaction and it's kind of deflating. You know, you finish your, your segment and it's like, oh. Or if I'm giving a lecture and I know there's a thousand people out there, but I can't see them. And I, I never want to go back. You know? No, no. Here's to more human connection. Um, exactly. As a, 
as a podcaster, I think it's such a treat getting to chat with fellow podcasters. So I just want to say a big congratulations because I was taking a look at the variety of topics. I was reading the reviews. I mean, Dr. Stryker, there's so much love and appreciation for the information and the messaging that you're delivering. I imagine though, that you put so much work and effort into books and then to launch a podcast and to have it be so well received is beautiful. But at the same time, you're like, guys, I worked really hard on those books. Like, please read them as well. But what yeah. drew you into the podcast space? And what do you love about that style of disseminating information? Well, the podcast for me, you know, there's, I, I do two kinds of segments. One is just me talking and yeah, I'm happy to do that. And that's fine. And, and quite frankly, when it's just me talking about a topic, a lot of that is really just using my books as a, as a, you know, leaping off point. And like, for example, you know, the, the one that I talk about, okay, what are the lubricants that are not going to eat away your vagina? What are the good lubricants? You know, that's right from one of my books. So that's, it's easy and it's fun and, and that's all good information. But what really is fun with the podcast is when I get to interview people who know something I don't know, or who are better at something than I am. And then not only do I have the fun of interviewing someone who's just really interesting, but then I'm learning from them. Mm. And I love that. So I really gone out of my way to interview people that have an area of expertise that is different than my own. You know, I'm not interviewing a lot of gynecologists. One of my favorite ones, I interviewed a urologist about need to know information about the penis in your bed. And it was all about what women <laughs> know about penises. And it's like, oh my God, this is like so much fun for me to learn because I didn't know this stuff. You know, I, you know, I don't do that. I just did one on weight loss with an, um, this weight loss guru who's talking about all these new drugs that are out there that are just game changers that I didn't know about that. So that for me is what's really fun is to have an opportunity to talk to people that ordinarily would not be sitting you know, in front of me. Yeah. So friends, if you're enjoying this, definitely go check out the menopause podcast full of good information, whether you're experiencing menopause or not, because we can all learn a little something about our bodies, our hormonal health, and maybe even the penis in your bed, if that's something that applies to you. You know, what's funny is because it is the menopause podcast. And certainly I am directing it towards women who are in that Mm -hmm. 45 to 80 year old age group. But the truth is, is that at least half of my podcasts, any woman would enjoy listening to. They're just fun. You know, I did one on from a dating coach. How do, what do you know? Being out there again. You know, these are podcasts that are just good information for anybody. All right. I want to talk about menopause. All right. Because you've illuminated the fact that some of us listening might experience it a little early. Some of us might experience it in our 40s and our 50s. And you said something earlier about our raging hormones. I got to tell you, my hormones are raging about, you know, twice a month already when I'm ovulating, when I'm on my period. So like, what are we in for when menopause comes and knocking? Well, first of all, I have good news for you. There is no correlation between women who have difficult periods, PMS, craziness when they ovulate and a difficult menopause. There is no correlation. So this doesn't mean that you know, oh my God, I'm really in for it now. Um, you know, and, and as far as what people experience, everybody's story is unique. I mean, we certainly, we know that 80% of women are going to have hot flashes. 70% of women are going to experience some vaginal dryness, maybe some pain with intercourse or some urinary symptoms. So yeah, we can go through the list and say, you know, how many 
women experience this and that, but everybody's story is unique. Mm -hmm. But the message I have for everybody is the same. And that's, we have solutions for anything that you're experiencing that is in getting in the way of your being able to function, whether it's your sleep in the workplace, in relationship with having sex. Yeah. This, this idea that you have to put up with this stuff or tough it out simply isn't true. We have safe, effective solutions. So while I can't tell you precisely what your story is going to be, I can tell you whatever it is, I can offer you a solution. But most women do have symptoms. There's, you know, we do have that lucky 20% that just say, I don't know what you're talking about. I never had a hot flash. My vagina lubricates just fine. You know, and then they say it's because I, you know, I, I, I eat clean or because I exercise. And no, 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 no. They're just lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's genetic. It's the way, I mean, certainly certain things are going to put you at yeah. higher risk for having problems, but overall, um, you know, if you're destined to have hot flashes, you're going to have hot flashes, no matter how much yoga you do, no matter how clean you eat and no matter, you know, how many vitamins you take. That's just the way it is. So dear friends, if you're in the lucky 20%, don't go showing off. Okay. Cause the rest exactly. of us, the 80% we're experiencing all of it. And it's tough. I'd love to hear though, like from a physiological perspective, yeah. why does menopause come into our lives? And why is it just an important part of the life cycle? Yeah. Well, you know, when you think about biologically, we are put on earth for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to have babies biologically. And so if you look at other mammals, it's really interesting because pretty much every mammal other than whales inexplicably and humans, they die shortly after they go through menopause. It's the idea of, okay, once you can no longer reproduce, there is really no biologic reason for you to be able to, you know, to be around. So when we look at the changes that occur after menopause, what really is going on biologically is that since you are no longer reproducing, you don't have to have periods, you don't have to be fertile, you don't have to have sex because biologically the reason to have sex is to reproduce. But what's, what's fascinating to me is how we now appreciate that estrogen affects every single cell in your body. I think a lot of people think they think estrogen, they think their uterus, they think their vaginas, their vulvas, you know, they think reproductive kind of stuff. And we know that you have estrogen receptors in your brain, in your bones, in your skin, you name it. An estrogen receptor is going to be there and it's going to be impacted by the fact that your ovaries are no longer making estrogen. And that's why my approach to menopause is, okay, we're going to look at all of you. And we're going to look at how menopause is affecting every single part of your body and then talk about how we can get around that mm. to make sure that you continue to, to sleep, to function, to thrive, to be sexual and to live as long as possible. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of women don't appreciate. I want to talk about hot flashes for a minute because that's the number one symptom that women have. Oh, trust me. I wanted to hold, do a whole deep dive on hot flashes. Well, that so let's, terrifies let's, me. Well, let's, let's talk about hot flashes. It's time for Chloe's Clarence pick of the week. Ooh. All right, we are still in midsummer, friends. And if you're living in Toronto or Europe or many other parts of the world, there's a 
very intense heat wave happening. And if you're like me, you don't let a heat wave stop you from enjoying the sun. But if we're gonna do so, we need to protect our gorgeous, glorious, fabulous skin, which is why I wanna highlight Clarins SPF 50 plus lotion spray for the body. The reason I love this is I like a spray. I like to be able to control how much I'm putting on my body. And as well, it's a spray, but it's a lotion. So it feels really hydrating and softens the skin at the same time while protecting us. And that's because there's moisture rich aloe vera extract in this gorgeous product. And get this, Clarins has been doing sun care research and work for 40 years. So they know what to do to protect our skin and to lock out harmful UVA, UVB rays that um, result in sunspots and wrinkles and also cause damage much further deeper under the skin. Not sure that sentence made sense, but you know what I'm talking about. So honestly, you need to protect your skin in the sun. You need to protect your skin all year round, but especially while we're having a heat wave. And that's why this product, the SPF 50 plus lotion spray is so incredibly important. 50 seems really high, but guys, more is more when it comes to sunscreen. And I have been using this product all summer long and it has not disappointed. All right, let's get back to the chat. Because 80% of women have hot flashes and there's a lot of myths about hot flashes. The number one myth is that they're not going to last too long. And we now know from very good studies that the average, the average amount of time that a woman experiences hot flashes is seven to 10 years. Many women, it's going to be longer. There is a genetic component. Black women tend to get hot flashes earlier. They're a lot worse and they last longer. Um, Asian women tend to have the least number of years of hot flashes. And this is not diet related. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're an Asian woman eating fish or eating cheeseburgers. We know that Asian women tend to have hot flashes less. So myth number one is that they don't last very long. Myth number two is that a hot flash is not harmful. You know, people think, okay, so hot flash, I'll get a fan, I'll dress in layers, whatever. I'll tough it out. I'll deal with it. But what we now appreciate is that Women that have hot flashes have a much higher, higher risk of having cardiovascular disease, issues with cognitive function, issues with bone health. You know, the list is long of the impact of hot flashes. So this idea that a hot flash isn't harmful is simply not true because every time someone has a hot flash, their cortisol level surges, they have an inflammatory reaction that again affects every tissue in their body. And over the long term, we now know that this has an impact. So one of the things that most women are aware of is that most women die of cardiovascular disease, not cancer, cardiovascular disease. And cardiovascular disease tends to accelerate when? After menopause. But who does it accelerate the fastest in? Women who have hot flashes. And that's not commonly known. So if you talk to a menopause expert, they will not tell you that treating your hot flashes is optional. They're going to say, you've got hot flashes, you really need to treat them because it is going to affect your brain, your bone, your heart, your bladder, you know, all of that. Um, We know that, that it's going to have huge repercussions, not just on quality of life, but also on length of life. Which is a a daunting, daunting 
pill to swallow that realization that for 80% of women, they will experience them. And when they do experience them, unless they're, you know, taken care of with by medical professionals, it will have a negative impact on their quality and their length of life, which I think kind of comes back to this idea of there's fear around menopause and how it's going to impact your life. I was thinking fear about like, having great sex, getting good. We'll, we'll get to the vagina in a minute. Yeah. But <laughs> this is really, this is really, really important. Yeah. So, you know, but, working but, this profession, can we do anything about it? Like when do we go seek uh, medical advice? Yeah. So, so my approach of course, is when I see a woman who's in her, you know, early forties, even if I don't think that menopause is on her, you know, on the horizon, it's the time to have the conversations say, be aware This is the time to take care of yourself, to eat well, to be at a healthy weight, to make sure you're doing everything else right. And then when you start to have hot flashes, if you can't sleep, if you're missing periods, know that we have safe, effective solutions and that you should come in and have that conversation. And just that alone, most women don't even know that. They don't know what to expect. They don't know when to expect it. And they don't know that there are solutions. And we know that right now in the United States, only 6%, 6, 6% of women are treated for their hot flashes. The rest of them just, just you know, dress in layers and sit there and try and cool off thinking, all right, I just got to get through this. And we have a lot of safe, effective options, both hormonal and non-hormonal. Now, right now, by absolute, no question about it, non-controversial, the best way to eliminate hot flashes is using hormone therapy. And a lot of women are afraid of hormone therapy because they have this idea that hormone therapy is going to increase the risk of, of breast cancer. And what we now know, and what I'm going to tell you is not my opinion. This is science. This is proven. Any menopause expert will tell you this. Estrogen not only doesn't increase breast cancer, it decreases breast cancer. And women, they look at me like, yeah, right. Like, where have you been? You know, don't you know? No, it's actually, we've been given a lot of misinformation and any menopause expert will tell you that estrogen will decrease your risk of breast cancer. And that if you look at risks of hormone therapy, breast cancer is not one of them. That's one of the biggest misconceptions out there. So, I mean, we could spend hours just talking about that, but suffice it to say, that hormone therapy is not only effective, but it is safe. But there are women who either just choose not to take hormone therapy, or they have been told not to, or women who have breast cancer, even though we don't know that it's going to increase their rate of recurrence, we don't give them estrogen because we really don't know it hasn't been studied adequately. So there are a lot of women that we say, you know what, you're not going to take estrogen. We're going to do other things. And we certainly have a lot of other options. So my, the last book that I wrote, so I have a series of books. It's called Dr. Stryker's Inside Information. And the first book in the series is Slip Sliding Way, Turning Back the Clock on Your Vagina. And that's all about all the things that can happen to your vagina and your vulva and your bladder and your urethra, you know, basically genital dryness and all the repercussions. My second book is called Hot Flash How, um, obviously about hot flashes. And that's about all the reasons that you want to treat your hot flashes. And then of course, all of the options that you have both hormonal and non-hormonal. And then the third book, which I'm working on now, but I put on hold because of the podcast is putting the O back in your mojo. And it's about postmenopause orgasm, which is another topic that is just not talked about, mm-hmm. but it happens to be the second most common sexual problem that women have postmenopause is that they are not able to have an orgasm, even if they were able to have an orgasm 
prior to menopause. And of course, we see this stuff in our clinic all the time and we are able to fix it. It's the most important part. You know, we can fix it. Um, but, you know, women don't know. And, and I mean, okay, you go to a doctor. Has your doctor ever asked you about your ability to have an orgasm? Never. I mean, never. I'm down to talk about all of it, but I've never once been asked. No. I don't, never in my life. Has your doctor ever said to you, is pain, do you have pain with sex? I mean, I'm in fertility treatment, so we've talked about that, but never beforehand. No. And never. do they ever say to you, is sex pleasurable? Never. Never. When you go to a doctor, usually they ask one question. Are you sexually active? The most meaningless question on the face of the earth. First of all, what do you mean by that? Yeah. If I had sex with myself, is that sexually active with my vibrator? If I had sex two weeks ago, but I'm not having now, am I sexually active? If I have sex with a woman in my cell, I mean, you know, why are you asking? Is it just about contraception? I mean, it's, it's the most ridiculous question. And that's what 99% of doctors, that's the only question they ask is, are you sexually active? And a woman will go, no. And then that's the end of it. The doctor doesn't then say, oh, is it because it really hurts when you have sex? Or because it's not pleasurable because you've never had an orgasm. I mean, no one goes there, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and these are chats that we should have. So, I mean, sure. what I'm taking away from this is like, gals, guys, everyone listen to this. Like, have, take it upon yourself to start these conversations or find a physician, find someone who is going to be in your corner that is willing and open to have these chats because Dr. Stryker oh. is here to tell us they're really important. Well, it is important, but that part of the problem is just what you said is to find a doctor who's willing to have these chats because the big issue is you say, okay, well, why aren't doctors asking? Why does a doctor not ask you about your ability to have an orgasm? Well, it's not because they're embarrassed. I mean, doctors ask all kinds of embarrassing questions. The main reason they don't ask is because they have no training in how to help you. So if you say, well, I'm so glad you asked, mm -hmm. I can't have an orgasm. They have nothing to say, but I'm sorry because no one has trained them in terms of helping women who have not been able to have orgasms, which is my, my first book, my sex RX book, you know, it has a, a huge section of course on, on orgasmic dysfunction as we call it medically. But the point is, is that conversation is not happening. And we know that more often than not, um, if it does happen, it's the woman who brings it up reluctantly because she's desperate for information. And Dr. Google hasn't helped her, even though of course she's done that exhaustively and doctors aren't going to bring it up. You know, I'm at the, one of the best medical schools in the country and they have, um, uh, out of their four years of medical school, I give a lecture to them on normal sexual function and dysfunction. It's, um, a 20 minute lecture because they have 40 minutes, they get 20 minutes for male sexual function and 20 minutes for female sexual function. I know mind blowing. And it's not, and I, and I start the lecture by saying, I don't care what field you go into, whether you're, you know, a cancer doctor or a diabetes doctor or a gastrointestinal, it doesn't matter. Every single field, every single medical problem can impact on the ability to have a normal sexual function. Man, nobody's talking about it. I mean, do you being in the position that you are, do you see that changing in the future? Do you see? No, not really. You know, it's interesting because, because I run this sexual medicine clinic, of course, and then the menopause clinic. And when we opened the clinic five years ago, and I gave an open invitation to medical students, residents, and I said, please come, we want to teach you. We want you to rotate through the clinic. We want you to learn. And we've had like, you know, two people that have come through and it's not because they're not interested in their defense. They don't have time. 
right. you know, when someone does a four-year residency in OBGYN, they have to spend so much time doing obstetrics and so much time doing gynecologic oncology and so much time doing urogynecology and blah, 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 blah. And this is not part of the curriculum. So even if they say, boy, I would really like to learn that, they simply don't have the time. So they finish their residency and they're very well trained, but they really don't know anything about menopause. They don't know about sexual medicine. And no, I really don't see it changing. And when you look at our clinic and you say, okay, well, how do women find their way to our clinic? Because we have a really busy clinic. When I opened this clinic, I think Northwestern thought, you know, okay, strikers are crazy. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> going to come. And, you know, we have a wait list that's, that's months long. But, but women are not sent here by their doctors. They are self-referred. You know, every woman that walks in the door, we say, who referred you? How'd you get here? How'd you know about the clinic? And it is almost universal that they say, I found you on my own. I went to see my gynecologist. He or she wasn't helpful. I went to see my internist. They weren't helpful. I started looking around on the internet to see what I could find. And I found your clinic and here I am. They're self-referred. Their doctors are not sending them. And that's what I fault doctors for. Mm. It's fine if they're not experts in this stuff. Everyone doesn't have to be an expert in everything. You know, your general gynecologist isn't an expert in fertility. And they said, okay, go see the fertility doctor. Yeah. Yeah. But we want them to also say, oh, you're having pain with sex. That's not an area of expertise for me. Let me send you to someone who can help you. That's where I fault the doctors. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what, for those of us that don't live in your area, thank goodness you've got your books and your podcast. So at least we can start gathering some information and hopefully finding resources in our own cities. But I got to ask you, like when women come to you and you work with them and you're able to help them through their, their struggles their issues, their problems. I mean, how rewarding is that to, to see someone, you know, feel like they're up against a wall, finally feel seen, feel heard, feel like appreciated, and then to see them get on the other side of it. Well, it, it's very satisfying. And really what we get from the women are two reactions. We get the hugs, the kisses, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we get the anger. The anger at, I've been seeing seven different gynecologists over the course of 10 years, and they kept telling me it was all in my head. Mm. And to find out that it's not, and all these years, you know, lost relationships, depression, anxiety, pain, only to find out that this was a solvable problem. You know, I have, I have a, um, a situation that I've actually talked about a number of times in lectures because it, it makes the point so well. And it's, um, this was a woman who had seen 12 doctors. She was in her 30s. Every time she had sex, it was excruciatingly painful. I mean, there was no way, no how that penis was going in there. And she was sent to see, you know, sex therapists. And she was told, you know, drink more wine, take a bath, relax, you you name it. And everyone that told her said, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're normal. This is all in your head. This is all in your head. And she came to the clinic and it took me about two minutes to find that she had a wall in her vagina, a vaginal septum. Um, that she was basically born with that had been a misdiagnosis. And I did, you know, a 15 minute procedure in the operating room to remove the septum. And the next week she had perfectly pleasurable, comfortable sex after, you know, this long, long journey. And my point isn't that I'm such a great doctor. (laughs) I think you are. (laughs) my, My point is, is that women are not being given these solutions. And, and on one hand, you know, it's always thrilling and wonderful to be able to help them. 
But what I'd really like to do is to spread the word, you know, help yeah. doctors out there. And one of the things a lot of women ask is, well, okay, so if I'm in LA or New York or Chicago, there are a lot of doctors that do this. And that's true. There are a lot of experts that are really helpful. But if you live in small town USA, as many people who listen, or you're in Canada, you know, and, you know, you don't have that kind of help. And, and so that's, um, you know, what I tell people is, okay, that's why you read my book. And you walk into your doctor and you say, I read slip sliding away. And I read that there's a ring I can put in my vagina that's going to, you know, help me lubricate and have pain-free sex. And I would like a prescription. They will write that prescription because um, it's not that they don't want to help you. They may not know how. And Canada is very similar. There are experts out there. I don't know if you're familiar with the North American Menopause Society. Um, but that's the kind of the, the organization that is are all the experts in menopause. And in fact, one of the people who's most active in that is um, a Canadian, Marla Shapiro. I don't know if you know Marla. I know she does media. Um, but, you know, so I, so I know you've got your experts there. <laughs> I've, I've, I know many of them. Oh, it's so nice to hear. And again, I think it's just advocate for yourselves you know, do the research, but do research from reputable sources, um, your books, your podcast, great place to start. So it sounds like there's a ton of information in there and then just go in there, go in there gals and ask for what you need and, and ask questions and don't let them just push you out the door. Cause I think, I know I've definitely hit many walls with physicians with my overall health. And sometimes you, they make you feel really small. They make you, you, feel, get small. Yourself they make you feel small it's because they don't want you to know that maybe they don't know, mm. the answers, you know, mm. and, and I think I always say that it's so important for women to have good information so they can make good choices because if you go in there with good information um it's only going to benefit you it's only going to benefit you you know and then we get into the whole telehealth thing which is also interesting because we were talking earlier about covid and you know the the bad things about it and and telehealth in many ways is a good thing and it does increase access to experts but one of the things about menopause treatment specifically is when you're talking about hot flashes Telehealth can be something that's absolutely an option and you can get the help you need. But the two things that cannot be done by telehealth are pain and bleeding. You need to see a human doctor who's going to take a look and and make sure that there's, you know, see what's going on and then offer you options. And there's a lot of these telehealth companies that have popped up in these menopause care companies, which are worrisome because they do a lot of things by telehealth that really require an exam. Sometimes they don't give you all your options. They might only work with one or two drugs. So those are the ones that they're going to promote. And so when I'm talking about telehealth, I'm talking about telehealth with a menopause expert, not necessarily one of these platforms that's out there. Okay. Pain, bleeding. That's when we go see doctors. Um, and really quickly, I mean, we, we've talked about the big O I'd love to just hear your, hear your professional advice. You're telling us that women, whether, you know, especially if you've hit menopause, it's still possible and it's important to feel pleasure. And if you're not feeling it, don't feel any shame about it. Maybe there's just something stopping you from getting there. Is that right? right? It's exactly right. And when we look at orgasm specifically, there's two kinds of categories of problems with orgasm. One is the woman who's never had an orgasm ever. And in most cases, as we say here in our clinic, she really just needs a map to her clitoris. <laughs> told her she has this expectation that she's going to have 
um, an orgasm during penetrative vaginal sex. And that never happens, you know, like maybe 15, 20% of people at best. So a lot of women just have not been educated. We get out the mirror, we show them where their clitoris is. Um, we have wonderful, wonderful sex therapists who really kind of do the deep dive with them in terms of getting past all the taboos and this and that. But the other category is acquired orgasmic dysfunction. And these are women who come to us and say, I used to have orgasms just fine. Got my vibrator out, little manual stimulation, oral, whatever, no problem. And then something changed. Mm -hmm. And then no matter what, no matter how hard I tried, it was either not happening or it took so long that I was exhausted and didn't care anymore, or it was a flicker instead of fireworks. And these are women that more often than not, the clitoral nerve endings are just no longer responding. And there's a lot of reasons why that can happen. Um, certainly, we know that, that age is one reason. We know that women who have medical conditions like diabetes or cardiovascular disease, sometimes they're not going to get that blood flow to the clitoris. And, um, <coughs> and we know that there are ways to increase blood flow to the clitoris. And I did an entire podcast on that, um, about very specific recommendations to increase blood flow to the clitoris for women who are having difficulty. And quite frankly, for some women, it is just having more stimulation. Not every woman owns a vibrator. And of course, I always say- Please buy you, one. Please buy one. The only thing that vibrates is your cell phone. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> and because they have not been brought up to know that this was a normal part of sexuality, to have vibratory stimulation on the clitoris. And a lot of times just educating women in terms of that is going to enable them to have an orgasm. But the other thing that we do are things that increase blood flow to the clitoris, things that are going to help with arousal. You have to be aroused to have an orgasm. And the number one thing that is gonna sabotage the ability to be aroused is pain, ah. pain. If someone is having pain, they are not going to get aroused and they are not going to have an orgasm. So this, you know, grit your teeth and bear it if you're having pain just doesn't work. No one should have pain during sexual pain is okay, right? I'm like, yeah. no, no one should have pain during sex. Sex is supposed to feel good, not bad. Yeah. And not only should it not hurt, but it should be pleasurable, which in turn, should cause arousal, which in turn is going to facilitate the ability to have an orgasm. Oh, Dr. Now you pointed to your head. I know. I thought maybe thoughts. I thought maybe no, thoughts. I think, no, no, no. You are absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. The brain is a very important part of this whole thing. When we look at what causes people to be aroused. Um, and, and so there's a difference between libido and arousal. And the difference is, is libido is I'm thinking about sex. I'm desiring sex. I want sex. Arousal, on the other hand, is the next step. It is the physical manifestations of wanting to have sex. So if you're thinking, I want to have sex, but your vagina is like the Sahara Desert, that means you are not aroused. But if you're thinking, I want to have sex and you're well lubricated and your heart rate's getting up there a little bit, maybe your nipples are getting a little hard. It's like, okay, now my body is kicking into action and saying, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. Dr. That's, Stryker. That's the difference between the beat. Oh, that was fun. And just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. 
Once again, I am your host with Clearly No Filter, Chloe Wilde. And if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out because that sucks. Feel free to rate and leave us a comment. And of course, follow us on Instagram at HealthiestHot. And my friends, remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. I'll see you next week.